Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14? Proverbs chapter 14. Um, and then uh, Romans chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 14. Did you bring a Bible this morning? Yeah, you know, back, back in church, back in the, uh, in the day, back in church, before all the electronic versions, you'd say, open your Bibles and you'd hear this. You remember, you know what I'm talking about? Right? Now I say, open your Bibles and people <laughs> tapping it in and, and such. But I like, I like a physical Bible. You know, I open my physical Bible every day and read my Bible like that. But Proverbs chapter 14 and Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to talk about something very, very, very important today. And that's God and politics, which a lot of times people think those two don't go together. <laughs> You're not supposed to talk about God and politics together unless you, unless you want an argument, you know. I remember I had a friend uh, in high school who was a big mouth, and he'd, he'd won an argument. You know, he'd, he'd like, he was the type that would walk up to the big guy and, like, say, you know, mouth off to him or say some expletive or something just to get him mad so he'd get punched or something. That's kind of how it's like when you say you're going to talk in church about politics. People say, you want to get punched? <laughs> you know, you want people to leave the church? You know, but here's the reality. It's not only important, it's it's necessary. It's necessary, and I'll show you why. But uh, I, I have some slides. Do we have those slides? Would you put up these, uh, these slides? I'm just going to read a few of these to you. But from this first scripture, look at the scripture. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's the book of Proverbs. Righteousness exalts a nation. Let me tell you, it's not a political party that exalts a nation. It's not a belief that exalts a nation. It's not just the economy or, or, the, or, the, uh, or the strength of the military or the uh, knowledge or understanding or force or the way things are presented. No, it's righteousness that exalts a nation. Somebody say amen. Yeah, but he says, leave that scripture up right there. Yeah. It says, but sin, can you say the word sin? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that there's a such, such of a thing as called sin? You know, some people don't believe there's sin. Some people believe there's not absolute truth. It's like if it feels good, if you, if you want to do it, it's just whatever you want. But how many of you know God still believes in sin? And we still believe there's sin, right? But look at this. But sin is a reproach to any people. So there's, there's something called righteousness and there's something called sin. It, it's, not, it's not necessarily political parties that make and break nations. It's righteousness and sin that makes and breaks nations. Isn't that right? So how would we vote? Righteousness. That's why when you hear me pray all the time, what do I pray for? I pray for righteousness. Why? Because I don't care what political party we are, we need to embrace righteousness. Amen? We need to embrace God's way. You can just go, keep going. Yeah, okay. Reverend Francis Grimm said this. If the time ever comes... When we shall go to pieces, it will be from inward corruption, from the disregard of right principles. From leaving the principles in the Declaration of Independence, 
in the golden rule, in the Ten Commandments, and in the Sermon on the Mount. It will come from losing sight of the fact that righteousness exalteth a nation, but that sin is a reproach to any people. Next slide. Unless we hold firmly to the great fundamental principles of righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. See, I think if there's one thing I want, want, want you to get across on this, it righteousness. And we're not just talking about rightness. Like I'm going to fight over who's right. No, we're talking about righteousness. God has something called righteousness. God's righteousness. Unless we hold firmly to the great fundamental principles of righteousness, America will be only a covenant with death and an agreement. I need to pull this up on my phone because I can't see the, the bottom of that, and I'm not sure if it's the formatting on it. But Okay. Unless we hold firmly to the great fundamental principles of righteousness, America will only be a covenant of death and an agreement Oh, I apologize. Oh, there we go. I just want to get this right. Give me just one second here. And an agreement with hell. Those are good words. <laughs> That's why I wanted to get that. Okay. Next slide. Reverend Frederick Douglass, I have one great political idea. That idea is an old one, generally trampled upon and disregarded. The best expression of it I have found in the Bible. It is substance. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Do you hear any similarities here? Yeah. This constitutes my politics. The negative and positive of my politics and the whole of my politics. I feel it is my duty to do all in my power to infuse this idea into the public mind. Next slide. Reverend Charles Finney. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah. Powerful minister. Uh, the church must take right ground in regard to politics. The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics. Or the Lord will curse them. <laughs> That's pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country which we love and pray for unless the church will take right ground. Politics are a part of religion in such a country as this. And Christians must do their duty to the country as part of their duty to God. It seems sometimes as if the foundations of the nation were becoming rotten and Christians seem to act as if they thought God did not see what they do in politics. He will bless or curse this nation according to the course they, Christians, take. John Jay said this, The Americans are the first people whom heaven has favored with an opportunity of deliberating upon and choosing the forms of government under which they live. 
Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. President James A. Garfield. I'll just continue to read them, and we'll get it right next to verse. Um, uh, now more than... Uh, Garfield said, now more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and impure corruption. If it be diligent, or if it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the nat national legislature. If the next... Uh, Centennial does not find us a great nation. It will be, be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of our nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation. Let me tell you, we don't define righteousness. God defines righteousness. <laughs> I said, we don't define righteousness. People say, well, what is righteousness? Ask the Lord. Ask his word. He's, God is the one who defines righteousness. I want you to look in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And there's a very popular verse that we've, if you've been around church, you've read it, you've probably quoted it, and here's what it says. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed, Paul says to the church at Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Can you say the gospel of Christ? You know that a lot of times believers are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. They think the gospel of Christ is just for in the church. But can I tell you, the gospel of Christ is supposed to be out in the world. It's supposed to be in the whole world, the gospel of Christ. But I believe that the enemy wants to shut up the gospel of Christ. And so sometimes wherever the gospel of Christ isn't, there's confusion. Whenever you remove the gospel of Christ, you remove the standard, you remove righteousness, you remove the way, and then people are, it's like turning out the lights and wondering, why don't people know where to go? Well, because you turn out the lights, Right? Look at, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God to salvation. That's the Greek word soteria. It means deliverance, preservation, safety, salvation. The gospel brings safety. It brings preservation. When you remove the gospel, you remove everything. When you remove the gospel, you remove God's hand, God's direction, God's provision, God's help. And then we say, where's God? Did he turn his back on us? No, we turned his back, our back on him. We closed the door to him. We locked him out of the room. And then we wonder, where's his help? His help's outside. <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? <laughs> For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Notice, for everyone. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in what? In the gospel. Notice, the righteousness of God is revealed. Notice, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is re revealed. What is the thing that exalts a nation? 
the righteousness of God. How is the righteousness of God revealed? In the gospel. You lock out the gospel, you lock out the righteousness of God. You lock out the righteousness of God, you lock out the preservation of a nation. He says, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and, and um, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Can you say suppress the truth? You can have truth, but if you don't allow truth, then you don't get the results of truth. You suppress the truth. It's not that you don't know truth. It's that you suppress it. You push it back. You hold it down. Who suppress the truth in, uh, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world notice he's saying this isn't this didn't come with the, the beginning of your country or your nation he's saying since the beginning of the world the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen God's trying to show his ways he's trying to show the way he acts he's trying to show how he is He's saying it, it, they're clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, and look in verse 21, because although they knew God, can you say knew God? They did not glorify him as God. Say did not glorify him as God. Yeah. So they were aware of God, but they didn't put God in his rightful place. They said, oh yeah, we're we would say today, we're Christians. Yeah, but, but is Christ the head? Right? Is Christ's word the head? We, we identify, we're in relationship with him, like, oh yeah, yeah, that's who I am. But they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. There we go again, right? We were talking about that this morning. Thankful. Thank, do you know that Thanksgiving kind of just aligns you? Why? Because it puts God back in his place. And we realize thankfulness comes by knowing really who your daddy is. <laughs> thankfulness really comes by knowing who your source is. Right? Nor were they thankful but became futile. Do you know people with an attitude usually aren't thankful? They're deserving. They're entitled. Think I am. Thankful for what? Give me a bunch of, you know? Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals, creeping things. Notice, they were aware of God. They didn't put him in his place. So a nation can start out by glorifying God. A, a company can start out. A people, a family, any organization can start out by glorifying God. But we can remove God. We can remove prayer out of schools. We can remove the Bible out of courtrooms. So help me God. I don't want to say that. I don't, that, that, make, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Okay, you want to feel uncomfortable? You're, you're about to feel uncomfortable. Real uncomfortable. You start removing God. Remove the Ten Commandments from, from, the, from the, uh, the, the places of, 
of our, our government. Why? Because oh, I just feel a little uncomfortable. What Ten Commandments? Whose Ten Commandments are those? So you remove those, those you begin to remove those things. I acknowledge God. It's, they, it's not that they didn't, weren't aware of God or acknowledge him, but they didn't put him in his, they didn't glorify him as God. In other words, they didn't, they didn't line up your life to God. And because of that, what happened? You, you see what happened. It says, um, uh, you, you see it in the Bible, also you see it in, in the kings of, of Israel. You'll see that they say this was a righteous king because he walked in and he set God up in his place and he kicked out all the, removed all the idols from his father and did all this. And then you say, and then the, his son walked in. He was an unrighteous. Why? Because he pulled back in some of the idols and he removed this and he did serve God, but not with a whole heart because he did this. And then the next king, he came in and he did, you just see it throughout. This is nothing new to God. God doesn't look and say, What's happening with the U.S. or or what's happening with this? No, God, God's like, man, I've been dealing with this for years. You just read it through the Bible, right? But the righteousness was the righteous was always the ones who kicked out all their idols and things they depend on, depended on their systems, and they put God as God. And God would bless their nation and would defeat their enemies and would bring them peace and would give them help until the next person would come in charge and then they'd do the opposite and then they'd push them out or whatever they did. But you always see it was in alignment. So these people came, changed the glory of God, and they, they made it into corruptible things. Verse 24, therefore, here's what God did when they did that. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their own hearts. To dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When we begin to look to ourselves as the solution instead of God, it becomes idolatry. We can have political idolatry. We can have economic idolatry. We can have racial idolatry. We can have idolatry in any area of our lives if we begin to say, that is our, that's our God. That's the thing that saved us. That's the thing that, no, listen, can I tell you, if there is any salvation, it all came from the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord. And we have to keep him on top, right? Somebody say amen. amen. This reason God, the Bible says, um, Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. Somebody say, God gave them up. Yeah, so did they give up God, or did God give them up, or did they give up God? Well, they first gave up God, and then God gave them up. It's kind of like somebody rejecting you, and you finally go, you know, I mean, are you sure? It's a good deal here. I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'll help you. I'll be with you. And they're like, I don't need you. And after a while, you're like, are you sure? Are you sure? And you finally say, all right, are you sure? <laughs> That's kind of how God is. God is not wanting to, but here he says, for God gave them up. They gave up God, so God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what was against nature. Likewise also, uh, the men leaving natural use of women burned in lust for one another homosexuality, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. 
which was due, it says. Now, now I want to remind you, this is New Testament. This isn't Old Testament. Some people say, was that all Old Testament? Is that under the judgment? No, he's writing this to the church at Rome. He's writing this to believers, right? And he's saying that, that God gave them up because they chose a different way. They just said, I don't really, you know, I don't really believe in that. You know, and my class that I was in didn't teach me that. They kind of opened me up to a new way and these kinds of things. And God's like, are you sure? Sure you want that way? So God did that. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Notice, they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, but gave God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Here's what happens. You start thinking a different way from God, right? You, it, when, when you start thinking a different way than, from God, there's conflict that arises. Eventually, you want to eliminate the conflict. So you have to eliminate God. Or you eliminate your belief, which is called repentance, Right? So you, then you want to eliminate God and his word, or you want to eliminate anything that would conflict. Because, you know, that doesn't make me feel good. I, you know, you're hearing people, I come to church, and I, I just doesn't, I, I read God's word, and it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. I feel like convicted, and so I just don't read it. <laughs> well, something has to be eliminated, either sin or God's word has to be eliminated, right? So what happens? You, you eventually eliminate the thing that conflicts because you can't live in that conflict on the inside. In our society, we can't live in that. So you start talking to people and seeing what their solution is. And then you eventually, that's why you got to watch who you hang out, hang out with. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. Why? You start hanging around people who are wondering what to do with the conflict, you'll start doing what they do. And that's just eliminate God and his word. And eventually, your whole mind becomes debased, and you start thinking about just truth is whatever I feel. Truth is whatever I think. Truth is the way that, I mean... How could? And you start asking these questions, which honestly, without God and his word, kind of makes sense. Right? Being filled. So what do we do? We eventually eliminate the conflict and we eliminate God's view in our world. And again, we take out the prayer to schools and the Ten Commandments and the, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want one nation under God anymore. I don't want to say that anymore. Why? I just feel uncomfortable with all that. Reminds me of things. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. Notice that it says what happens when you remove God. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Remember what exalts a nation? So what happens? If you start thinking this way, you remove righteousness. What happens? You, you, you're, it's your downfall. You'll start failing. You'll start going down. Uh, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, Full of envy, murders, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, 
unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, listen, not only do, can you say do? The same, but also approve. Can you say prove? Approve? Vote. Well, I don't do that stuff. But do you vote for those? Do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is why voting matters. Because if we want to preserve righteousness in our nation, we have to vote for those who stand up for the things of God. And you might say, yeah, but, but there's, there's issues on both sides. I, I, I believe you. I agree with you. There's not, perfect, there's not perfection on both sides. But you have to be able to stand up for righteousness in your vote. You have to be able to know and, and vote what the word of God. You have to be able to know what God believes about issues and vote that way. As believers, as carriers of the gospel, we do not have the right to sit back and say nothing about the nation that we live in. By saying nothing, we are saying something. I said, by saying nothing, we're saying something. In verse 32, it says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do, but also those who approve of those who practice them. When you and I vote, we are approving of decisions that our leaders are making for us. We're approving of things. When you and I do not vote, we are allowing decisions to be made. I've, I've talked with a number of people who just said, I don't know what to do, so I just don't vote. Nope, don't get a pass. I believe that if you have the right to vote, then you have a responsibility to stand up and vote. What if I, what if I don't make the right decision? You take it before the Lord, you pray, you do the best you can do, and you vote the best you know how to vote. Amen? I am aware, and I know, and I've sat with people in this church who are hardcore Democrats, and have explained to me why with all of their hearts they believe why they're voting the way they do. And can I tell you, I respect you. I don't put you down. That's, that's what our democracy stands up for, is for you to have your voice. But I've stood, I've, I've sat down with Republicans who've said this is why, and I even believe if you don't vote this way, how can you even be a Christian? I've heard things both ways, but you know what? I respect you too. Can I tell you this? I believe it's a responsibility that we stand up and before the Lord, we do what we can do and we need to love and respect one another in what we do. Jesus said, Father, make them one. And he was saying, then the world will know. In other words, people outside of the church will know that inside the church, people who even see things different, disagree and, and, and find different can still be in unity under the Lord. And under his way, but listen, it doesn't dismiss us from the responsibility of voting and standing up for righteousness. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, when you and I vote, we are approving of things. Psalm chapter 50 verse 18 says, when you saw a thief, you consented with him and you've been partakers with adulterers. In other words, you saw it, you're in it. You can't just turn your head. Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Good men to do nothing. I've done a lot of reading and study for even this message, for this particular message, and uh, to discuss politics in our 
uh, current political climate. I do thank God that in research and in looking that there's a lot of churches, a lot of men and women of God who are standing up for righteousness in our nation during this day. Praise the Lord. And I believe that it's because of prayer and voicing, standing up for righteousness, that we're seeing things happen in our nation. I know you might say that, that are not on the news. Not all about the news. There are things that are happening in our nation that are not on the news. There are spiritual things that are happening. Amen? You believe it? Amen. But we need to stand up for righteousness. I know that a lot of people have already voted, and that's okay. You might say, well, is this an irrelevant message? No, you're going to be voting a lot more times in your life. Okay. Um, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I will tell you to vote for the person and party who more closely lines up with the Word of God. Uh, I'm not going to tell you, uh, I'm not going to stand up and endorse a candidate, but I am going to tell you as a believer that you have a responsibility to pray and ask the Lord who you should vote for, and you should vote accordingly. You cannot vote according to personality or style. I know that there's people who say, well, I kind of like some of the things Donald Trump did, but I just, I don't like his arrogance, I don't like the way he comes across. I don't like, you know, his tweets. I don't like this and that, so I'm not going to vote for him. That's not the reason not to vote. Or that's not the reason to vote. Because I'm just tired of, I like the way he says it. I'm just, I'm, I've been frustrated with uh, politics anyway. That's not the reason why, because of a personality or style. You need to see what he stands for, right? I, some people, you know, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden because, you know, he's, 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 he has, you know, dementia. He can't even keep a sentence together. He lies. He does this. He does that. Well, can I tell you, everyone lies. I don't want to say everyone lies, but in politics, when I see politics, I see a lot of politicians get up there and get under pressure, and they say things. And, and, and you come out, and the fact checks come out, and, and it's not all the truth. But can I tell you, you've got to go back and find out what are they standing up for? What are they putting their name on? What are they voting for? You can't vote by style and personality. No candidate is perfect. They all have issues. And things you probably would disagree on if you knew them personally or if you were up close. A lot of times people will come up close and they'll say, you don't know up close the way it is. If we all knew everybody up close in the political realm, we probably would. Maybe you'd, maybe you'd, maybe you'd vote more for them or maybe you wouldn't. Um, you're not going to find a perfect candidate unless Jesus Christ is running for office. <laughs> Amen? Unless Jesus Christ comes and runs. And, <laughs> and can I tell you, he, he didn't even win the vote of a lot of people when he was here, right? But you're not going to find a perfect candidate unless Jesus is running for office. The Bible does say that a tree is known by his fruit. Which policies is a candidate standing up for that will promote God? That's what's important. What policies will a candidate stand up for that will promote God? Someone might say, well, should we even be talking about government in the church? Should we even be talking about it? Absolutely. Yes, we should. There is a thing called separation of church and state, though, isn't there? You can't talk about, well, let me just uh, point this out. In 1802, Andrew Jackson wrote this letter to uh, the uh, Dan Dansbury, Danbury Baptist Association of Connecticut. 
And this was where the separation of church and state was found. He wrote it, it was about the government's overreach into the church, and the church was getting concerned that the government was going to come in and overreach in that. In this letter, here's what he said. He said, a matter which lies solely between man and his God, and that government should not have any influence over his opinions. So it was saying, look at government, well, basically government's not going to bother you as a church. We're going to let you worship God and do what you have. But see, man's twisted that around and said, I want you to not have God have anything to do with the government. But you can't have God, you, you can't push God out of government or else you're not going to have righteousness in a government. You're just going to have man's righteousness. And then we get into a big mess. And so, uh, therefore, he asserted, Andrew Jackson in this letter, he said, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole America, American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between the church and the state. Now we want the church to stay out of government, taking, again, prayer, taking the Bible, taking the name of Jesus, taking swears under oath under the name of God. We want to separate God from government, but you cannot. Now, I want you to look at Romans chapter 13. I want to turn there as well. We, we read Romans chapter 1, but Romans chapter 13. And I want you to see that what God's view is on being authorities. Now, he's not talking about in the church. He's talking about civil authority. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. See, we think, I put you in office. No, you didn't. God put them in office. God established them. God stood up for them. There's no authority except from God. God is the one who sets up, appoints, and establishes authority. God is a God of order. God's not a God of chaos. God's not a God of anarchy. God's a God of order and a God of honor. And so what does he say to do? He says, be subject to the governing authorities. That's why, no matter who your president is, I'm, I can tell you I have prayed every day and have led prayer times for President Obama and for President Bush and for President Clinton and for President Trump. And you know, I don't, I, I, you know, sometimes I'd get up and I'd even say, um, I pray for Trump and something inside of me just says, it's President Trump. That's right. Or I'd say, you know, Obama, and I'd say, it's President Obama. Why? Because they're my authority. Not my president. If you're under God, they are. Why? Because the Bible says there's no authority that, that exists that God didn't appoint. God didn't establish. So he says, do what? He says, so let every soul be subject to governing authorities. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Well, do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. Notice this verse 4. For he is, say the, what are these two words? For he is God's minister. What does the Bible call your authority? He's a minister. He's God's minister. 
to you for good. He's, in other words, he's there not to do you evil. He's there to do you good. Now, do they always do you good? No, but he's there to do you good, right? To do you good. But if you do evil, be afraid because he's, he doesn't bear the sword in vain. In other words, there's some consequence. For he is, he says it again, God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on those who practice evil. Listen, authorities are ministers. Authorities aren't only ministers, they're God's ministers. Don't touch God's ministers. Well, what should we do then? Pray for them and stand up for righteousness. And when it's time to vote, vote the right one in. Praise God that we have the opportunity to do that. Verse 5, therefore you must be subject, not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, um, you remember Paul spoke against that one guy, and, 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 and the guy said, you know, did you know that he's the, the leader? And he said, oh, I didn't know it. So he said, you know, basically I'm going to backtrack on that. Why? It wasn't because of what he said wasn't true. It was because he came against the authority. And he's saying, for your conscience sake, when you pray for your authority, when you stand with your authority, when you, um, w- when you do that, your conscience, in other words, on the inside, you, you have peace because you know you're doing the right thing because you're standing up. Um, verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. And then look at this commandment in verse 7. Can you say taxes? <laughs> taxes to whom they're due. Customs, say customs. Customs to whom they're due. Fear, say fear. To whom they're due. And honor, say honor. To whom they're due. Notice he says render all four of these things. Taxes, customs, right? Fear and honor. It didn't say if you agree with them. Didn't say if you voted for them. Boy, it's quiet in this church today. <laughs> I should be preaching this next week, right? <laughs> Someone's like, <"Yeah." laughs> no, it says do it. Why? Because they're your leader. I don't care who gets elected. They need our prayers. Somebody say amen. amen. Anyone who, who, who gets elected, they need our prayers. And we need to stand up and pray. Pray for them. See, it, it's a popular thing to fight authority. It's a popular thing to stand up because it makes us feel smart. You know what I think? <laughs> if you want to tell me, I don't, I, don't really, I don't really care what you think. I mean, you're not running for office, are you? <laughs> It's popular to fight authority, but God says to honor authority. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, pray for all who are in authority. And when election time comes, vote for all who are in authority. Vote for those. Many Christians begin to vote, begin voting with the wrong question. They say, who should I vote for? But instead, we should say, how should I vote? How should I vote? So God in politics. I'm, uh, uh, Again, people want to separate God from government, but God establishes government. God cannot be removed from government. God's the one who sets up government, so you can't remove God from government. So how do I deal with issues? How do I deal with life's issues in this, right? Um, People would wonder, who's who's God going to vote for? Well, God's not going to vote here on earth. But I'll tell you, if God had to vote for someone, I'll tell you who he'd vote for, himself, He'd vote for himself, right? Because he has, he, has his, he has his own ways. He has his own righteousness. How do we deal with issues in government? Well, 
let's go back to your own life. How, how I'm having difficulties in my family. Uh, you would tell me what it is, and I would say, well, let's pull out God's word. I would open up the word of God, and we would share, and we would issues, right? You have something that you're going on with personally, and you don't know the decision to make or the right way to go. You'd come and share it, and we'd pull out God's word, and we'd find it, right? You have problems at work. You don't know what to do with your boss. You don't know what to do with, with, uh, with, with a decision that's coming up, and you want to make the right decision. What would we do? We'd pull out God's word, right? We have, we have an issue, say, in someone between two people in church, and they get frustrated at one another. You'd come and say, hey, we get, we'd pull out God's word, and we'd find out what God's word says. But here, what we want to do, we want to come over to government, and we want to say, well, let's just change books. Let's find out what this party says or this person says or this says or what my opinion says or what my family line says or what the color of my skin says or what, uh, what, what, how we've always done it or where we've always stood before. That's the way we need to do it. Why would we want to switch the way we solve things when it comes to our government? The way we get God's plan is, is we, we have to stay with God's word. Somebody say Amen. We have to stay with the word of God. God's word has the answers to every part of our life. It holds final authority. It answers all of life concerns. When there's a conflict, when two things disagree, God's word will solve it. Do you know that God's word has, uh, has an answer to every single division that there is out there? You just haven't found it yet, if, if there's still a conflict. So you need to know where you stand on things. Don't just stand up and listen to politicians or listen to different things that are there. Find out what you believe when it comes to that. Settle on it. It really will press you into what you believe more. The problem is, is that we want to turn to other things instead of going back to the Word of God. We must stay with the Word of God and the belief that God has all of the answers. I remember hearing, and you've probably heard this, Diane Feinstein when she said back in, I believe it was 2017, and she said about uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and she said, why is it that so many of us on this side have, uh, have this uncomfortable feeling that dogma, dogmas, beliefs, convictions, uh, principles within inside of you, she said that dogma and law are two different things, and I think that religion would be and read speeches the conclusion. She said, I think that in your case, Professor, that when you see and read speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's my concern. Your convictions, your beliefs, how you see things. Can I tell you, we can have two people that read the same thing, and if one has the fear of the Lord and one doesn't, they can read the same thing and interpret it two different ways. What she's saying, what she said about her, the thing that concerns me is that you have something on the inside of you. It's a dogma of your belief, your faith, and when you interpret things in the, the, the Constitution, it concerns me that you're going to have your belief interpret that way. Can I tell you, it would concern me if someone doesn't have the fear of the Lord when they're reading something. Somebody say amen. See, the Bible says in the, in the, the wisest man in all the earth what, besides Jesus was who? King Solomon. And King Solomon, right, in, in Proverbs chapter 1 said, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the dogma, the belief on the inside that God is. What is the fear of the Lord? It's, it's believing God's right and we're not. And we have to believe 
that God's word and God's ways are the right way. If we believe that, it, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. God's word can restore and transform a nation. So which side is, God's on, is God on? Well, God's on his side. As one uh, pastor said, God doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We're on God's side. How many would say we're all on the same side? We're on God's side. Amen? Yeah, we're on God's side. So vote the party, the person, and the platform that best represents God's values to advance his kingdom. Vote as closely as aligned as you can. Check out marriage and sexuality. Check out abortion. Check out economy and taxes. Check out socialism versus capitalism. I'm telling you, if you study that kind of stuff and you go into it, it's not all what people think it is. Study education. Study immigration. Look into it and see what the Word of God says concerning those things because the Word of God does speak concerning those things. Study and understand the issues from God's Word. And I want to close with this today. I read the, uh, this article that Pastor Tony Evans wrote. And I thought this was just one of the best things about where we stand on politics. If you might know, Tony uh, Evans is uh, African-American uh, minister for many, 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 many years he's been ministering. And he's in the position that he's in between a lot of what some might say, this is the way you need to vote, and others might say, this is the way you need to vote. And I remember, you know, uh, reading some things with him and thinking, I, I really respect Tony Evans. But he gave this analogy, and I thought it was really good, and I want to close with this. He said, in every football game, there's two teams that battle head-to-head -head in combat in order to win a victory. For 60 minutes, they war against one another in order to declare the world to the world which team's the greatest. But what most people don't recognize is that in every football game, there's not just two teams on the field. In fact, in every football game taking place in every football stadium throughout our land, there are actually three teams who participate. There's the home team, there's the visiting team, and then there's the team of officials Two, t two of the teams in this battle have the same desire, and that's the desire to win. But in order to win, they have to go after different goals. These two teams use various strategies, various plays to try to accomplish their goal. Yet in the middle of everything, there is a team of men wearing black and white and jerseys whose role it is to govern this war. This third team doesn't take sides with either of the teams in the battle, if they did, they'd be disqualified from what they'd been put in there to do. This third team is not committed to either team. Rather, they owe their allegiance to a higher entity, the League of the Office of the NFL. This League of the Office has set forth rules, guidelines, and regulations which by both teams are to carry out the battle. It is the job of the third team, the officials, to operate in the midst of these two competing parties to carry out the intentions and governance of the NFL. Whatever this third team decides and says overrules both teams. This is because the unique group has an allegiance that holds an ultimately greater office of authority than the two competing teams. Yet if an official happened to be too much of a fan of one of the two teams so that his allegiance kept him from being an objective official on the field, thus not representing the larger umbrella under which he was to operate, he would have compromised his position. 
Likewise, if an official chose to rule apart from the governances and the guidelines of the league office of the NFL, he would not be backed by the authority of that office. His authority to influence is only as strong as his alignment, which that which sits above him. Righteousness preserves a nation. One of the greatest tragedies, listen as he sums it up, one of the greatest tragedies in the church of Jesus Christ today is that we've lost our ability and authority to be an influence to those around us. We've lost this because we've divided and aligned ourselves with the politics of men rather than to be the third team with the power from and allegiance to a whole other king and kingdom. Believers have taken sides with the two teams on the field. Believers have allowed political expedience to override the kingdom of God. God has not given his allegiance to any party. His allegiance belongs to himself, his word, his principles, his truth. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you represent his kingdom as well in whatever political capacity you choose to position yourself. I want us to close here um, just because of what I shared and how I shared. I know I realize that there's some people who would get frustrated at me some people who might get, think I should have said something one way or think I should have said something another way. I'm not concerned about that. And I'll tell you why. Because I do know with all of my heart that we have to stand up for righteousness. We have to listen to the Lord. And the Lord is, just like he said, that just looking at nature, he, he can be able to unveil and show himself. I believe that if every one of us would pray and be honest before the Lord, the Lord will show you what, how to vote and what to do and how to say it and how to, how to explain those things. But I do believe that if we would get so frustrated and angry and get even in the flesh sometimes about something, we'll end up not even being able to have conversations with people and come together. And the Lord has called our church to be one and to be together. So let me pray. Let's all pray. In fact, put your, put your heart in a position, in a posture of humility and thankfulness right now. And just say, God, I thank you for the nation that we live in. Come on, just pray with me right now. I know we're closing service, but just say, thank you for the nation that we live in today. Thank you for a nation that we have democracy and that we're able to vote. Thank you for the nation, Lord, that we're able to come, God, one nation under you. And Lord, we pray for righteousness in our nation. Would you pray with me right now? I pray for righteousness in my nation. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.